You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. Good. So good to be with you all. And uh, it's a good day. Yeah? 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 Not sure? It's a good day. It's the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's a decision, it's a choice. We decide what we do with each day. Um, so, uh, I want to show you a picture here. This is my grandmother on my dad's side. That is Grandma Anna Greco, better known as Anna Banana. All right, that's what we called her for many years. Um, one of a kind, a character hard to put into words, my Grandma Anna. She's the original Anna Greco. So, for, you know, those who met my wife, you know, um, uh, she was uh, four feet tall. Um, yep, yep. I won't tell you how wide she was, but we may have called her a four by four. Um, and uh, she, but very short, like just about four feet tall, like not much more. Like, Nikki, you'd have been like a giant compared to Grandma Anna. Uh, so short that she actually had to sit on a phone book in the car just to see over the steering wheel. Like, it was a phone book and then a pillow, right? Because the phone book wasn't comfortable. So, do you know? Those are younger. Do you know what a phone book is? Okay, there are these books with numbers that you could, like, call people and had their name, their address, and their number. We actually gave that stuff out publicly. Um, and so uh, she had this phone book. And then, actually, she couldn't reach the pedals because it was too, uh, too short. So my dad actually built a wooden block that was he had, like, stuck on her gas pedal so she could actually reach the gas pedal. She was a character. She always wore Betty Boop T-shirts. Anybody? So most of you don't know Betty Boop. Some of you will. Um, it was a cartoon character, and, uh, and before it was cool, she drank seltzer, all right, always in her purse, wrapped in aluminum foil. I don't know why. I don't know if it kept it cold or not, but am I making this up, Mom? Not making it up. Always, like, and I was like, who drinks seltzer? It was before they had, like, the splashes of stuff. It was just straight, boring old plain seltzer, and she, all the time, where's my seltzer? Um, and my grandmother was a character, and when I graduated college, um, I'm pretty sure uh, this, she said to me, um, she was so happy when she, and she said, thank God I can die now. I can die now. Fast forward to when I introduced her to Anna, she was worried I was never going to get married, like really concerned. Um, and when, when I introduced her to Anna and we got married, she goes, I can die now, right? <coughs> Then, when we told her we were having Ethan, I mean, my, you were in the room. I can die now, all right? This, is, this was her thing. Oh, and I, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I, I, I think she's saying it to everybody. I don't think it's just a me thing. In the beginning, I thought I was special. Um, I'm fairly certain she said it to everybody. And it was her way of saying, life is exceeding my expectations, right? Like, this is all gravy. I've gotten to the point where she got to a point where she never thought her life would be as good as it was, and everything was just cherry on top after cherry on top. And so it was like, you know, I can't get any better. I can die now. So here's my question for you. Would you say right now that you've accomplished everything that you want and you can die now? Anybody in the room? Uh, Gene, all right, we got, we got a couple. We got a couple. We got a few. Um, there's, a, there's some of you. Um, and if not, if, if you, if, so most of you who had your hands down, let me ask you this question. What do you feel you need to do to get to a place where you could say that? Think about that. What, would, what are those things, you know, I mean, 
bucket lists, right? Everybody's got their bucket list, right? Things we do before we kick the bucket, right? That's right, all that. Um, I never knew what a bucket list was until the movie came out. I had no idea what that was. Um, so just think about, you know, all those things that you still, ambitions, things that you would like to accomplish before you feel like you've fulfilled, you know, what you've gotten out of life. Um, and while we're at it, <clears throat> how many of you feel like you have enough money right now? Like, you're good. You're good. Okay, we got a couple. We got a couple. Like, you're totally good. Um, how many of you would feel better if you had more? Yeah, honestly. Honestly. Come on, people. Put your hand up. Right, if you had more. How, um, so here's the question. Then how much would be enough to stop wanting more? Like, what's the number? Right? Like, is, is, is a million enough? No, no, no. Two million? A hundred million. Yeah, yeah. See, it's just a matter of scale, right? It's, but at some level, there's a number. Um, how, many, how many houses would be enough? Or, you know, is, is it just one house or is it just a bigger house? Would, would, would a bigger house be enough? Would, would more, would, well, I like my house, but a beach house would be nice. Yes, mm-hmm, come on. Come on, Jesus, you know we want. Okay, here we go. Beach houses, right? Uh, right, Ocean City. I want Second Street, right? No, I don't want Second Street. I want one over because I want to be right next to Brown's Donuts because I want to smell that every morning, right? Um, uh, how about how many, how many cars would be enough? Like, how many cars? Like, if you had, or is it a nicer car? Like, right, like, how, how many extras? Um, uh, how many, and for some of you, this is really the only question that matters. How many cats and dogs would be enough? You know, never, never enough, right? Like, that's all right. So some of you, um, so the question is, how much would be enough to make you happy? How much enough to make you happy? The past several weeks, we've been exploring the story of Daniel, right? A character out of the Old Testament, um, identifying idols of life, things that attempt to take God's place in our heart. And we've been contrasting those things, what those idols promise, with what God has already given to us. The idols so far we've looked at, we've looked at four. Idol of acceptance, number one, right? That where we seek acceptance from other people when God already gives us approval, right? Knowledge, the idol of knowledge that we feel like if we knew more, we'd be better off, but God has already promised to reveal everything we need to know as long as we're seeking him. Third, the idol of security, right? That we want to be safe, right? That we want to, and that as long as I chase safety, I'll be better. I'll be better when I'm more safe, but God says you are completely in control in his hands. And then fourth, we talk about the idol of power, that I will be better when I have more power, stronger, when I have all, and, and God says, no, you know what, he, he has all power, and he gives us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. So this week is the final idol, and if you can't guess, it's going to be the idol of happiness. It's the idol of happiness. It's perhaps the most commonly worshipped idol in our society. Most likely, right? Um, from the 1960s to the 1980s, again, only about half the room will understand this, or at least, un, or at least know the reference. Howard Hughes. How many remember Howard Hughes? Some of you, a few of you, a few of you. Okay. He was known, he was a businessman. He was an investor. He was a record-setting pilot, uh, an engineer, a film director. Uh, during his lifetime, he was probably one of the most influential people in the world and one of the wealthiest people in the world. Like, everybody knew Howard Hughes. He was worth billions. And as rich as he was, he famously said this quote, ready? Money can't buy happiness. He would know. <laughs> he, 
He had it, right? And he tried. See, happiness, is a, it's, it's, it's a feeling. It's an emotion. It's not a state of being. But it's this, this perpetual feeling. You cannot buy it. You can't buy it. We talked about joy. Last year we did talk a lot about joy. Joy is deeper than happiness, right? It's, a, it's not just a, a feeling, but joy is an enduring uh, place. It's, it's a posture that we assume. I choose to be joyful. It's a choice. It's, but we chase happiness because it feels good. How many like being happy? The rest of you, right, there, you, you see therapists for that, right? We, right? <laughs> we chase happiness because it feels good. And this is, this is what happiness, this is what chasing happiness sounds like. It sounds like this. Life is going to be good when, right? And life, I, I will be happy when I have this. Or I will be happy when this happens or when this is over or when I get to that place or when I get the promotion, right? That's when I'll be happy. I'll be happy when dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. And before we dive into this idol of happiness, I just want to briefly explore, um, again, remind us what idols, what they look like. Again, how idols work. Um, it's important for us as we're going into this world it's going to be something that confronts us every day. How do we fight this? One idol seek to take God's place in our heart. They, they, say, they tell God to move out, and they're going to take that primary spot. They take our attention off the God who gives us all the things and rather turn our attention onto the thing itself. Right? So we, we begin to worship the created thing, not the creator. They demand more and more, give less and less, until they demand everything and give nothing. And they end up costing us the very thing that we actually desire and need that God so perfectly gives us anyway, right? Idols are just so, God is, again, throughout the scriptures, God is constantly telling people, stay away from idols. They're not any good. And it's not just these little things that you can buy in gift shops. It's not something just on your shelf. It's, it's, it's so much more than that. And it's illustrated for us in our final look at the story of Daniel, towards the end of his time in Babylon, right? So Daniel's a Jewish man living now. They've, they've been conquered by the Babylonians. He's been living now in another city, not his home. Uh, we talked last week about King, King Nebuchadnezzar. We shortened it to King Neb, right? And King Neb is dead and gone. Several other kings have now come and gone. Uh, Daniel is still there. He's outlived all these kings, right? Um, the present king is actually away from the kingdom for a period of time. And his son, which was called a co-regent, Right, is now in power at the moment. So he's sort of not the king, but he's essentially got the power of the king while the king is away. And his name is Belshazzar. All right? And uh, we're going to call him Shaz. But Belshazzar, we pick up his story. Daniel chapter 5, you can read along in your Bibles. If you brought them, it'll be on the screen as well. And we read this. It says, many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. That's a party. A thousand people deep. That's a party. And while Belshazzar was drinking the wine... He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. Now, King Neb had these cups, right? He had taken these cups, but they were sacred. He took them out of the temple in Jerusalem. He knew what they were, and he said, I'm not going to touch these things. These are, these are dedicated to a god. I'm not going to mess with them. King Shaz is not like King Neb. He's having this opulent party, and he decides the cups they've been using aren't good enough. They're drinking. I mean, they're eating a 1,000 people. 
They're working, but they're not good enough. He wants to really flaunt his power. Remember, he's not really king, but he's trying to be the position of king, and he's trying to impress everybody. He's trying to show off, right? And so he decides the cups there aren't good enough, and so he wants more. So verse 3, so they brought these gold cups taken from the temple from the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. And while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It wasn't enough to drink from them. He's trying to make a point, right? It wasn't enough to be in power in Babylon over conquered people. He wanted to demoralize these people by blaspheming their God. Now, you may have heard that word blaspheme, right? It's an interesting word. What does it actually mean? It means literally to dishonor or profane something through either speech or action, right? To say something that would profane or to do something that would profane or, or dishonor. Belshazzar does both. <laughs> he, he does action and speech. He combines them. Like, he's all in on this. He used the cups, knowing that they were sacred, since they were taken from the temple Jews, and then he doubles down on praising idols, ironically made from the same exact material that he's drinking out of, right? The gold cups. He's praising idols of gold as he's drinking out of a cup. He's literally putting his mouth on a cup. And, and he's, but he's saying, but this is also could be an idol too. Now remember how God responded when King Neb, right, took the glory for himself? It didn't go well. So guess how it's going to go for Shaz? Here we go. Verse 5. Suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote. Listen, Hollywood could not put this into the big screen in a way as good as probably the real thing. And his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear and his legs gave way beneath him. You've heard the phrase, the handwriting was on the wall. That's where it comes from. This is the origin of that. It's rarely used in a positive context, right? When they say the handwriting is on the wall, that's usually like, eh, you know, it's, it's something bad's coming. Some theologians actually suggest that the way they describe uh, Belshazzar's reaction here where it says his knees knocked together and his legs gave way beneath him that the actual Hebrew kind of implies that he lost bodily functions if you know what I mean if you're picking up what I'm putting down all right I'm not going to go into it that's church um, as usual none of the magicians or wise men can interpret the writing they're like oh, something on a wall right um, they know what the words are but they don't know what it means it was written in their language um, have you heard the story before about something like a dream or something that people can't n interpret? You know, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, it's just kind of like the entire story of Daniel. True understanding can't be found apart from God. Over and over and over again. So verse, we're going to skip to verse 13. It says this, so Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king asked him, are you Daniel? One of the exiles brought in from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar. Can you hear how Shaz is different than King Neb? He's not just trying to be, like, respectful to Daniel. He's trying to put Daniel in his place. I am the king. You're just an exile, aren't you? Let's, let's just start off by reminding everybody in the room who you are. You're a slave, right? I'm in power. Oh, he does not honor Daniel. It's a power play. Verse 14, I have heard, I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. My wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and tell me their meaning, but they can't do it. I am told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems. 
He just sounds like somebody you'd want to punch. Not that I advocate violence. You should not do that. But it just sounds like somebody make you go, Ugh. if you can read these words and tell me their meaning, you will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor. And you'll have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you'll become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Remember, that's like third. Remember, his father's king. He's second. So he's saying, Daniel, you'll be right after me. Right? He's saying, you'll be, you'll be right there. And he's trying to show that he has wealth and power as if that could somehow compel Daniel to try harder. Like here, I will give you things if you'll try harder. He assumes that Daniel has the same appetite for more that he has. Um, and it turns out Daniel doesn't. <laughs> Verse 17, Daniel answered the king. I love this so much. Keep your gifts. Come on. How tough is that? How awesome is that? Like, keep your gifts. Or give them to someone else. But I'll tell you what the, what the writing means. Daniel is so seriously cool. He basically is like, listen, I don't need your stuff. Uh, I'm good. And I still can do what everybody else here can't. Right? Like, I got this. Um, Daniel's not happy. You can tell by Daniel's response. Daniel was like, with King Neb, he was like, oh, King Neb, I wish this wasn't about you. I'm so, I wish this was, he, he had compassion for the king because he understood that king had a soft spot in his heart. Daniel has a hard time with King Belshazzar, right? And he's, he's probably disgusted by what he recognizes as incompetent and foolish leadership. And listen to how he talks to Belshazzar. Verse 18, he says this, Your majesty, the most high God gave sovereignty Majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. He's talking about how good he was, how strong he was, how incredible he said. Verse 20, but when his heart and his mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glories. The story we read last week. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal. And he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow. And he was drenched with the dew of heaven. Until he learned that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. And appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. Here it comes. Verse 22. You are his successor, O Belshazzar. And you knew all this. Yet you have not humbled yourself for you have proudly defied the lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver gold bronze iron wooden stone gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all daniel is bringing it but you have not honored the god who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. Daniel's an older man by now, okay? He does not have a filter anymore, right? He's just, you're going to get, what are you going to do to me? I'm old. I've outlived all these other kings. I'm telling you how it is. And he's telling Belshazzar, you did not accidentally do this. You did not unintentionally do this. You willfully defied God. You knew what you were doing. You did it anyway. Verse 24, so God has sent this hand to write this message, and this is what the message that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And this is what those words mean. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. If you've ever heard the phrase, your days are numbered. That's where it comes from. Here you go. You, 
Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and you have not measured up. Parson means divided. To parse, right? You know, parse. To, means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel is dressed in purple robes. They gave it to him anyway. A gold chain is hung. He got bling around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest rule in the kingdom. Here's how it ends. That night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. That night. Wow. <laughs> I mean, this story, these stories, you can see it. Like, I really, again, I don't have to preach them, but I will because I've got more notes. In order for us to train ourselves for battle so that we don't end up like that, let's examine more closely the idol of happiness. What does it promise? What does the idol of happiness promise us? Ready? It promises us this very simple thing. More is better. That's what it promises us. More money, more things, more experiences, more prosperity is better. It will tell you that what you have is not enough. But, if you, but you can attain more if you can reach some higher measure you will be fulfilled. You will feel better. You will have a better quality of life. You will be happy if you have more. It promises abundance. But here's where it becomes lethal because it promises abundance without dependence. Not my words. I got that from someone else, just so you know. But it's so good. It promises abundance without dependence. It tells us that God is not the source of our abundance. He may give you some, but God will not give you enough. Somewhere we've bought into the lie that God will only give us the bare minimum to get by. That the promise of the grand God of the universe has promised us just to keep us from getting proud. We've taken all those warnings in the scriptures about excess, about pride, about being, that God will only give us just enough to survive but not enough to be happy. That if we want more, then it's up to us. God's not going to do that. That's going to be on us. And we can have more if we'll chase it. And if we'll enjoy abundance, we can attain it by our own efforts. The idol of happiness promises abundance without dependence. You can have that abundance, but you've got to work for it. The promise of abundance is based on a lie. Because here's the reality. There is never enough. There is never enough. Solomon told us that thousands of years ago, Ecclesiastes chapter, chapter 2 says this, I tried to experience the only happiness that most people find during their brief life in this world. He says, I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards, right? The, the gardens of Solomon were legendary. Because I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. It says, I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born to my household. I also owned large herds and flocks. More than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me, I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. 
Anything I wanted, I would take. Listen to this. He says, I denied myself no pleasure. Wow. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. It's the anthem of our society right now. You know what the song of our society is, right? It's from The Greatest Showman. Can anybody sing it with me? All the shine of a thousand spotlights. All the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never enough. Towers of gold, still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Oh. Yeah. Oh. But here's the thing. Just like Belshazzar, we know better. We know that. We're not, we're not fooled. We know all those things. We know all the stories. We know the quest for more has no end. We know that the idols are so good at lying, but here's the lie that we, we swallow hook, line, and sinker, and it's the same lie that Belshazzar believed. Here it is. Ready? It'll be different for me. That's what we tell ourselves over and over again. It'll be different for me. I know what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, but it's going to be different for me. More is going to make me happier. It's going to make me feel better about my life. Let me, let me just, can you help me here? Did, did worshiping idols make life better for Belshazzar? Like, did he get the pleasure and happiness he wanted? Because idol worship always ends the same. The story doesn't change. It always takes life and gives nothing. It takes the very thing that you want. Idol worship always has a cost. Let me ask you, what makes you happy? Truthfully, and it's not bad, but what makes you happy? Does family make you happy? For some of you, family, like you love just being with family. Some of you being happy when you're in nature. Some of you, it's food. I love food. It makes me happy. Good cannoli makes me happy, especially with the chocolate chips on the end. Good music make you happy. Experiences make you happy. Wealth make you happy. Listen, those are not bad things. Wealth is not a problem, right? Not bad. All of that happiness is not bad, right? Here's the question. What's the source of your happiness? The brother of Jesus tells us very clearly, everything that's good and perfect comes to us from the Father above. See, God is the source of all of those things that make us happy. Whatever makes you happy, God's behind it. God's the giver of it. When we seek happiness over the God who gives everything that causes it, we cost ourselves the very thing we want. See, how happy would it make you to know that every single one of your needs for the rest of your life were taken care of? How many would sign up for that deal? Right? That you would never have to carry the weight of provision ever again. That you would never need to wake up and feel the burden of maybe providing for yourself, or providing for your family, providing for those that you love, providing for people that you care about. Wouldn't it be awesome to never have the burden of provision ever again? Like, you would, it would change the way you sleep. Because you would go to bed going, man, I'm, it's all taken care of. You sleep good when life's taken care of. It would change the way you work. Because you wouldn't work for a paycheck, you'd work for a purpose. You would do things to make a difference, not just to try and grind it out. It would change the way you treat others. They would be people to love, not just a means to your ends. 
if you knew that all your needs were met, it would change everything. Truth is that God's already promised us that. You did such a good job reading that verse because I was going to preach on it. I'm getting there, uh, Miriam. You're, you're ahead of me. You got, you got ahead of me today. Matthew 6, Jesus says this. Ready? He gives a very unique command, and he says, it starts like this. He says, look at the birds. <laughs> Isn't that a weird thing to say? Look at the birds. He says, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? This can, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Some of you should worry a little more about your clothing, but why worry about your clothing? It's not about what you have, it's just how you arrange it. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. So he says, look at the flowers. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow. He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink and what will we wear? Listen, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's what idol worship does. It consumes your mind. It dominates your thoughts. You can't stop thinking about more. When, when you are chasing more, you are consumed with it. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Here it comes. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you the bare minimum of what you need. I'm sorry, no. He will give you some of what you need. I'm sorry. No. He will give you most of what you need. I'm sorry, what does it say he will give you? Everything you need. How much? Everything. God promises if you seek him first, if you trust him, you're going to have everything you need. See, God takes responsibility for providing for you. When you feel pressure to provide, listen, this is so important. When you feel pressure to provide, I just want to give you a picture of what's happening in that moment. You are taking the responsibility provision out of God's hands and effectively saying, I want this. When you feel the pressure to provide, you are taking it from God, who's already said, I got you, and you're saying, I want to carry this and see how heavy it is. I'd like to try and carry a tractor trailer down the road, God. I think this will be good for me. I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and carry things that I was never designed to carry. And if, I, if this is too heavy for me, then I'm going to complain about it. What we're doing is we are effectively worshiping an idol when we take it out of God's hand. You don't need more than what God provides to be happy. If you try to chase it, it will never be enough. That appetite will never be satisfied. And here's the truth. You know it. You're smart enough to know that it will not be different for you. God is so good. He can free you to live without the burden of provision. Doesn't mean we don't have to work means we don't have to just carry that responsibility. It doesn't mean we can be careless. We're to be wise stewards with what we're given. It doesn't mean we'll have everything we want, but we'll always have everything we need. We can be so afraid to let go, to trust God to provide, because we've been listening to the lies of idols for far too long. Because everyone around us, 
has bought into the lie that more is better. So what? What can we do to fight the temptation to worship happiness? How do we, how do we fight that battle that's going to confront you, might be confronting you right now? There might be something inside you that you're going, yeah, I just want a little bit more. I just want more. I just got more. How do you fight that? Very simply, very simply, God gave us the instructions, and he says this. Literally, look at the birds. Look at the birds. They don't plant, and they have food. Look at the flowers. Look at the flowers. They're so vulnerable, yet God keeps them coming back. This week, I want to challenge you. Here's your, here's your homework for the week. Ready? Every single day, I want you to take two pictures with your phone. I want you to take a picture of a bird. I think I got a picture of a bird here. There you go. I took that picture. It's not the best picture, but that was at the lake. That's an osprey. There were three of them there this week. They're, they're not usually there, but they were diving down and coming up with fish out of the lake right here in town center. I take one of the things my dad left me is this odd fascination with birds. It's weird, uh, but I've, they call them birders. It's a weird thing. You, now you know that about me. Don't judge me. I like, I like birds. They're weird, but I, I've got, I got a life list. I've seen like about 117 birds in my life. I keep my list going. I know Nikki likes birds too. Yeah, she's got so Anybody, any other people like, like you like weird things with birds? There you go. All right, thank you. So here's the deal. Bird nerds. Woo-hoo! All right, here we go. I want you to take a picture of a bird every day. Every day. Because when you take the picture of that bird, I just want you to think. Just think in your mind, who's the source of all the good in my life? Look at the birds. Who's the source of all the good in my life? God, you provide for me. God, you provide me. But I also want you to take a picture of flowers. Here, I got one of the flowers. This was, this was not recent. This was last year in our yard. I don't know what that's called. Hydrangea. There you go. They make me sneeze. But they're pretty. Um, but I want you every day this week also take a picture of a flower. Two pictures. One of a bird and one of a flower. And when you take a picture of that flower, let it remind you your happiness is not found in more. Your happiness is found in God. He gives everything you need. He's enough. He's enough. He ha- Listen, God has everything. God ha- Again, he has, we've talked about it every single time. He has all power. He has all wisdom. He has all understanding. He has all those things, and God has all the stuff. And he says, I will give you everything you need. So when you take those pictures, remind yourself, I don't need more. I have enough. God is everything I need. He's got me. We're going to close the communion. I'm going to invite the band back up. And it's our way, I think, a, a great way to kind of consecrate what we're talking about, to celebrate God's great love for us. When we think about, so communion for us, for those who are guests with us or you're not sure what communion is, it's, a, it's a, just a, a tradition we have where we honor the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where we honor, and if you didn't get served, please raise your hand. Our ushers will make sure that you uh, that you got it. So if you didn't get served on your way in, please raise your hand. Our ushers will make sure that you get it. And if you're a guest with us, we welcome everybody to participate with us. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are welcome. You don't have to be a member of Life Tree. You can participate with us. But when we think about the death and resurrection of Jesus, it reminds us that God has always been aware of what our greatest needs are. He's always known. I love this quote from Max Lucado. Anybody read Max Lucado? If you don't, you should. Great stories. He says this. 
if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. And if our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. And if our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. Let me ask you, if God didn't withhold his only son, what won't God give you? Your father in heaven knows how to give good gifts. He gives you everything you need. There are times we think we need more to be happy. I don't understand how this all works, but I know what it promises. He says, seek me first, and I will give you everything you need. So we've, we, we come to lean into God, to trust in him in brand new ways. God is faithful to keep his promises. He will do what he said he's going to do. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Take pictures of them. Seek first the kingdom of God. You've got two elements in your hands. You've got this little gluten-free wafer that doesn't taste like very much, but it symbolizes bread. (laughs) But more than that, it symbolizes the body of Christ. It symbolizes that he came in the flesh to die for us. It's not just an idea. I invite you just to take that out, and we're going to pray just for a moment, and then we'll receive it together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this this small token that reminds us what you've done for us, that you tangibly and physically met our need by sending your Son in human form. Lord, you held nothing back. Thank you for the reminder that your love for us means that you will give everything for us. There is nothing that would be good for us that you withhold. You withhold nothing that is good for us. You give it all. We have everything we need. We thank you for this reminder of how much you love us. It's in your name we pray. Let's eat together. cup represents his blood. That he didn't just come in a body, but he also laid that life down for us. He sacrificed for us. And he paid for it with his life. Let's just take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder. It lets us know the promise of our provision, that that promise came at a cost. This was not an easy promise to fulfill. It cost Jesus his very life. Yet he gave it of his own choice. He laid his life down. Lord, and would we be reminded that just as Jesus chose to show love, to trust you with his life, that we would choose to honor you by choosing to worship you above all. Lord, if we have in any way 
worshipped the idol of happiness, if we have chased after things that we felt like promised us more, and we put that in place of you in our life, God, we repent in this moment. We confess we've chased after more and it's has not produced any life in us. That our, our happiness is found in you alone. You are the source of all good in our life. We remember Lord, your great love for us and we honor that today. We celebrate it. In your good name we pray. Let's drink together.